Quasar Chronology number two. This is your co-host, Michael. And for our second episode, we are joined by... Uh, Jolie, or better known as G.I. Jolie, I guess. Yes. <laughs> so we are also the producers of the Comic Book Syndicate, and this is our maiden voyage for uh, podcasts. I've already done a few with uh, Josh, as everyone knows, but this is technically Quasar Chronology number two, covering Defenders. Okay, so as we're talking here, I'm just going to bring this up on the Marvel uh, database. Now, the reason that we're covering these issues, as you know, on the Quasar Chronology, is that we're following every appearance of Quasar. At this point, he was still called Marvel Man. So it's kind of interesting because we're kind of doing like a tour of various Marvel titles. You know, we've done um, Captain America. We're going to do the Hulk. This month we're doing Defenders, which was always a strange book. It was started by, I believe, Steve Gerber, Steve Englehart, people like that. It was always sort of an oddball comic. At this point in the run, it was certainly not one of Marvel's better books. I can only say this. It was written by uh, David Anthony Kraft, who, other than the, these oddball Marvel comics that he wrote at this point, the only other thing he's known for is he did create the magazine Comics Interview, which at one point was a very, you know, it was a good source of um, interviews for comic book creators in the 80s and stuff like that. But other than that, I've never really heard anyone mention him. So judging by his reputation, I'm going to say he's probably not the greatest writer. Judging by these three issues, he's certainly not a good writer. Like, sorry, Dave. I just, I don't think these, maybe he's capable of uh, other things, but these comics are not good. Uh, I don't know what to say beyond that. Do you want to give your general impression, Jolie? Defenders number 62, what do you think? Well, I've always sort of been... I mean, they, okay, the covers are dynamic, and then that alone will draw you in off a newsstand. But there's just something really strange about them that began to unfold as I neared the end. <laughs> and it, I, I couldn't really place my finger on it at the beginning. I, I was just... It, let's just say... I had a very general, is this a practical joke? Um, am I am I being asked to review, like, am I being asked to review these because, like, because this is a prank? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, I guess I'll leave it at that. For first impressions, I was just, I was so excited and I was like, oh, wow, the Defenders. Um, I'm familiar with the iteration that um, Marvel's universe has done on Netflix. And I know that they're not the true, you know, the true roster. So seeing all of these superheroes on the cover um, and some of them I couldn't identify uh, as being what part of the Defenders team. I was very interested. It's like, oh, cool. Maybe this will be some kind of an origin story. And um, I've always wanted to read. I've always wanted to read more ever since I watched the terrible show. And then... This was just an equally terrible comic mm -hmm. uh, series of three issues, I should say. They were just a very quick read, and yeah, I mean, we'll expand more later, but uh, yeah. Well, you know, I want to comment. The, t the cover uh, of this issue is good. It's by John Romita Jr. <coughs> and Bob Layton, who, you know, Bob Layton, great guy. We've met him. Yeah. Uh, John Romita Jr., great artist. At this point... He was uh, in his early sort of um, uh, indistinguishable style, we'll say. But he, I mean, his father's John Romita Sr., so, I mean, he learned from the best. He obviously knows how to, how to lay out a cover. This is a good cover. Um, 
Uh, so I guess what, the other thing we should clear up too for people who are not as familiar, like this was published what in the seventies? This was published in nineteen seventy eight, August okay. nineteen seventy eight, um, during the early years of Jim Shooter's run as editor in chief. So we'll call this mid Bronze Age, but the beginning of a nine year run by Jim Shooter where Marvel was arguably at its, maybe not its peak, but its second peak, I guess you could say, after the 60s. So this was a good era, a pretty good era for Marvel. Um, I guess the thing about, we both should know going in was, the fact that it says here on the cover, possibly the wildest Defender saga ever, tons of action, loads of suspense, and more than a few laughs. It was intended to be a little bit tongue-in-cheek, I think. And But it's, it's one of those comics where, again, it's like you said, it's like, is this... A joke like is it supposed to be funny is it just bad you know um but why are there all the okay and that well that's that's your first red flag thread on the cover is that the, there are these claims on the cover this is what you 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 should expect yeah. from this comic it's like oh okay well no uh, we certainly got that in some form but it was it's not nearly as um momentous as i think they make no. it out to be <laughs> Well, the thing is, okay, we, you know, we're not going to go through the whole thing, but in this issue, we start off, they're in the middle of a, of a game of Frisbee, which is a trick that Chris Claremont used to use, but he would always have the X-Men playing um, baseball or, or softball, which is, you know, this is a cool way to introduce, you know, the main members of the team, Hellcat, Hulk, Valkyrie, and Nighthawk. Um, and again, an oddball lineup. Um, but the funny thing is, is, what you and I got from this comic and what Josh and I got from our review of the Hulk comics was we really don't like the Hulk in this era, do we? What is your impression of the Hulk's characterization? Um, and this is coming from someone who hasn't been able to sort out whether a Hulk is... Uh, um, like, w what color he's supposed to be, when, how he's actually supposed to be speaking i this this hulk just for anyone who hasn't read these comics is that like he he speaks in that sort of way that i fear our civilization is moving towards mm -hmm. which is like in a series of words that are not connected where words like the and is are removed from actual sentence structure and that is how this hulk is and is terrible because he seems to have intellect but not, but is written as though uh, he doesn't. Like he he is yes. he has this weird ability to move himself throughout the story that he's put into, in the way that all of these heroes are. Mm -hmm. But when he opens his mouth to speak, he's just this giant. Um, help me with the word here. Well, it, it's like he, it, it, he's. They can't decide whether he's stupid or not. Yeah. And his speech pattern, he always refers to himself in the third person. And his most annoying annoying trait is that he has a nickname for everybody, which drives me crazy. So he calls Valkyrie Sword Girl. Uh, I believe he calls Nighthawk Birdface. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I mean, it is funny. Oh, yeah, that was yeah. definitely the most annoying. It is. Yeah, I, I can laugh at it, but and I can accept it for what it is, but it really hasn't aged well. Was there a time in the comic, too, where one of the characters corrected him and he said, well, I'm just going to call you Sword Girl? Yeah, that that is in here somewhere. Um, or maybe it wasn't her, maybe it was someone else. But yeah, definitely, we'll, like, we'll try to dig that up as we go. Um, but you know what's even worse? 
is that not only does he have nicknames, so do the other people. Like they all have nicknames for each other, like Nighty. Yeah, Nighty, Nighty, ready or not, and it's like. And when um, when Hellcat said that while they're playing this game of frisbee into the second and third pages, like one, they're playing frisbee for an abnormal amount of time, um, and it's not. It's not even to observe, like, it's, it's not even to uh, establish any kind of character. It's, I think it's meant to kind of show you the camaraderie between all of them, mm-hmm. and it still doesn't work. And it's like, those, using nicknames like Lad or Hey Nighty or, mm-hmm. or what do they call ho- him, Hockey? I don't know what they, no, he's the one that they refer to as Nighty. Yeah. Or, or Val. Valkyrie, they gave her another nickname too. Do they call her just Valk at one point? Possibly, yeah. And it's like, uh, and you know, it gave me pause. I'm pausing right now. Like, I don't know what to think of those things because it's not endearing me to these characters mm-hmm. at all. And I, because I certainly don't feel like they're endearing to each other enough to use these mm-hmm. kinds of. That's a good point. Like, there's just something so weird about the way that they refer to each other with these stupid nicknames. The thing is, is, like, Stanley did that with, uh, like, you you know, they'd call Iron Man Shellhead and they'd call... Yeah, that's what I felt like it recalled, but it wasn't nearly as successful. Right, and not as creative. Like, these nicknames are, sorry, they're idiotic, most of them. And it just seemed like, it just seemed like someone went through the script uh, a second time and said, oh, they don't... They don't seem like friends, but they're supposed to be on a team. So we'll just mm-hmm. write in where they, like, yell their nicknames at each other. <sighs> yeah, yeah, I didn't like that. Um, I, we're also in this issue, intru- like, I've never come across this character, Dollar Bill, I guess. I don't know anything about him, but I guess he's just the regular guy that just hangs out with him. So if you're listening to this and you know anything about this guy, sorry, we don't know anything about Dollar Bill. Kind of an interesting character to just throw in there as, like, a normal, non-powered yeah. member. Well, the, well, that's the thing. It's weird. I don't know if he's even a member or if he's just this guy who decided he was going to make a documentary about the Defenders. Well, the other thing they establish in this issue is that they're not really an official team. They're a non-team, so they don't have official membership. They don't have official rules. That actually comes into play later in the plot. So I think it kind of plays into that, and it is interesting. But I don't think it's until this page that I realize... Sorry, right now we're on um, digitally page 5. The real page number is cut off here at the bottom. This is where I, I realized, okay, they're totally playing this for laughs. So they're all watching TV, and the Hulk says, picture box, is, picture box is stupid, even worse than Frisbee. If show is bad, Hulk will smash picture box. Okay, fine. We'll play along. So uh, I guess this guy, Dollar Bill, has made a documentary about the Defenders, which they didn't give permission for him to do, so they're all pissed off at him about it. But what ends up happening is, in this documentary, he says that anyone who wants to be a defender can declare themselves one. This ends up coming back to bite them all in the ass because then all these supervillains declare themselves de- defenders. But before that happens, we're introduced to this scene of all these sort of B-listers coming to join the team. And this is where we tie into our Quasar chronology because one of them is Marvel Man, a.k.a. Quasar. They're Which one is it? Right here. Oh, I see. Yeah. Just kind of stuffed behind Hercules. Exactly. Hello, I'm Marvel Man. So anyway, so the rest here we've got Ms. Marvel, Jack of Hearts, Son of Satan, Polaris, uh, Black Goliath, Iron Fist, Captain Marvel, Hercules, Nova, and that is... I can't remember who that is. We'll get to that later. They mentioned his name later. Yeah. Ugh. 
It's pretty bad. <laughs> There's just so... And that's another thing, too, is that there are already so many um, heroes on a page, on the page, before they... Before Nighty opened the door and discovered, like, 10 to 20 more. So, not only... Like, I'm, I'm not mm. sure what happened in issue 61 or mm. the, the comics that preceded that. Like, do, do they have established relationships and characters? Or... So for anyone jumping into issue 62 who has no knowledge of these uh, these people, like, it, it's just largely confusing to have the, the core, the core, quote unquote, core group, and then to add all of these other people that Dollar Bill has, like, lured to their hideaway. Yeah. That just became overwhelming for me. That's a good point. And they're all kind of... Like indistinguishable I, oh yeah and i barely could remember the core group's names mm-hmm. yeah i mean obviously so. I, I, i'm personally familiar with them but yeah you're right they don't really do much to establish them and then they throw in all these new guys i mean it is kind of funny but it, it just unfortunately turns into this slugfest um it is played for laughs a little bit um but really there's it's not really much of a story it's kind of just an excuse to have hijinks and you know action like some of this dialogue like have we met i'm ms marvel in a new costume ah i understand and then this other guy um son of satan goes oh oh, if hulk remembers our last meeting i'm sunk then at the bottom it says oh it's stingray sorry it's stingray stingray fought green skin in hulk 221 it's it's stupid but i love it you know what can I say? It's definitely not great writing, but it's fun. Then we get to our favorite scene, my favorite scene anyway, in which they talk about coffee for the entire page. Hey, what about cream and sugar? Drink it black. So they're all t- <laughs> they're all talking about the coffee that they're drinking. Um, Ugh. Stingray says, this is devil's brew. Or no offense meant to you, son of Satan. Not even Thanos could down this bitter beverage. Then son of Satan says, no taken, none taken, friends, for I concur. Hercules, methinks I would prefer mead, but the dusky ar- aromatic drink of the mortal veil shall suffice. Valkyrie, it is my first attempt at making coffee. Indeed, it is fitting to propose a toast. I a toast to the new defenders to Gak! Zeus. So they give up on the coffee. You know what? This kind of reminds me of the funny version of Justice League from the late 80s. This is a little kind of a pr- precursor to that. Playing everything for laughs, so I don't know. I think it's scenes like that I do like. The rest of the issue, not not so much as good. I don't know. Honestly, other than that, there's really nothing to really talk about with this issue, other than the coffee. What did you think? Well, that's the only that's the only interesting part about this whole this whole thing that you can draw conclusions from, and even speak to is the like the the social impact or this the, how this the social nature of what is happening in the frisbee scene. And the coffee scene, how it impacts me or what I draw from my own experience. So, as a woman reading this comic, I find it odd that Valkyrie made coffee. Even though she's never made it before. Good point. She went and fetched them all coffee. And that's and also, that's where they landed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once they opened the doors to all these additional heroes, that's what happened next. Is that they invited them all in. 
Or, no, did they serve them coffee outside on the front landing? It doesn't seem like they've moved from where they first appeared. Mm -hmm. So, yes, you see Valkyrie coming out and holding this gigantic tray of coffee. And every every male who is there, or, yeah, every character who identifies as male is there commenting on the coffee. And the only line that Valkyrie gets is, well, this is my first time making it. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Well, while it is funny, mm-hmm. I think it just, um, just the social exchange is, is in itself the most interesting part of this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to sit on a fence of like, I'm not going to sit on the feminist fence and mm-hmm. like be like, of course the woman is the one serving mm-hmm. coffee. I just, I don't know what to think about its place in this story yet uh-huh. to even get to that point. So, for now, I'm mostly intrigued by it because I don't know why it's happening. You know, that, that is a good point. <laughs> why would the one person who's never made coffee before be the one to make it? It really doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because you would think that the Hulk having... And and that's another thing that I can't, I can't wrap my brain around the Hulk is that like how much of Bruce Banner exists while he's the Hulk? Because he's a scientist and every scientist I know thrives on coffee so it's like wouldn't of all of them the hulk would know how to make coffee Good <laughs> over, point. over and above the mythological norse woman who flies around on a magical horse they probably don't have coffee in valhalla they probably have some kind of like flowing fountain of you know i i definitely not coffee yeah uh, so I guess it, it's... Ple- Even she's repulsed by her own mm. coffee. So who else is on this team? It's the Hulk, her... Um, Nighthawk. Nighthawk. And Hellcat. I would even go so far as Nighthawk might even be able to make Nighthawk a, or, a good cup too. Or Hellcat, yeah. So it is a funny scene. It is played for laughs, but you're right. It is a little... It raises a few questions. It raises a few questions. And the amount of time we've devoted speaking to it... Is it is by far the most interesting uh, exchange between everybody in the book. Well, just like in the movie Avengers two, the best scene in the whole movie is the party scene where they're just telling st- funny stories, right? Yep, the whole that whole scene, also the shawarma scene, and it, yeah, it's like yeah. <clears throat> there's no mistake um, when people say food brings people together. It's <laughs> yeah. uh, you know we're drinking coffee while we're sitting here talking about it. So Good point, yeah. Okay, so there's not honestly, I hate to say it, there's not much to say about that issue. The only other thing it. Yeah, because it kind of just ends there. Yeah, it's got a weird ending, a really weird cliffhanger, where basically they all decide to gang up on the Hulk. Um, and that's that's the, the, the cliffhanger. Get him, group, huh? Next issue, sheer Hulkacost. Okay, whatever. Okay, so let's go to the next issue. Um, so on to issue 62, where the Hulkacost is in full swing. Yeah, actually, 63, the Defenders. Sorry, 63. Old Defenders and new slug it out to the finish. Tournament of Heroes. Good cover by Joe Sinnott. Um, this issue is, again, by David Anthony Kraft, drawn by Sal Buscema. This time with inks by... Oh, sorry, no, it's Jim Mooney again. Jim Mooney is uh, mostly famous for doing uh, Supergirl in the 60s and also doing Hit It Run, Ghost Rider. Great artist. This is sort of, again, standard Marvel art of the day. Um, fairly good, but sort of unremarkable. 
Uh, so we open up with a slugfest between all these uh, heroes and the Hulk. Kind of a page waster um, until Iron Man comes in. And then basically tells them that, that hell has broken loose because all these um, bad guys are de declaring themselves defenders and kind of wreaking havoc in Manhattan. <laughs> so anyway, so they have to kind of go and deal with that problem. And, you know, again... It's kind of just more ridiculousness. But I do have to point out, one of my favorite things about this whole issue is when Hellcat shows up with her Hellcat mobile. Awesome. I love that. I don't know what you thought of that, but did you even notice? Why does she have a Hellcat mobile? I'm not really sure. I don't really know much about Hellcat, to be honest. She was kind of big in the 70s, but kind of disappeared after that. Me neither. But, like, she if she is a feline... Felines are some of the fastest runners in nature. Mm. It seems very strange for me that her... Maybe she's rich. Like, maybe her alter ego is, like, loaded. I don't know. You know what's funny? She is actually... She's driving a... What? Is that a Porsche? It's a Porsche. And that's the thing is, I don't know much about her, but this is the same... This character... Um, What's her real identity? I can't remember. Um, Let me just see here. We will Google it. Like, let me get my Hellcat. Research mode Patsy Walker, I forgot her real name. In the <laughs> she's actually the same character in Jessica Jones, who they called Trish. I never got the Jessica Jones season two though, but I mean I only know her from season one. But well, uh, she's in Trish is in season one. She's the blonde yeah. friend. Yeah, she's no, that's what I mean, but I never I never decided what they how they developed her after that. Oh, Very see. cool in season one, but um not quite the same character as she is in the in the comics. Patsy Walker was around in the... Oh, she first appeared in the 40s. I didn't realize she was that old. But um, yeah, she was kind of like a, a romance comic character, and then they turned into a superhero. Okay, so let's get to the part. I just want to see. Click on... Yeah, so powers her powers and abilities. and abilities. She possesses a magic cloak, which enables her to sense mystical phenomena or deflect mystical attacks. So she's able to summon her costume at will. Okay, which is something all women would want to possess. Mm. She also can retract her claws and grappling hooks from her wrists, which is sort of like a, ooh, okay. She's also a well-trained martial artist and gymnast, having trained with the Avengers and the Moon Dragon. Okay, so, I mean, that's certainly terrifying. I, I was like, oh, so she's kind of got like weird summoning abilities no she also has claws that come out of her wrists all right okay <laughs> kind of strange i um again that doesn't really explain her why she has a hellcat mobile but whatever that's it's fun it's good fun <laughs> so they go to new york and they and including you know our pal quasar who's still called marvel man and they basically run into this group of <laughs> I mean, there's a funny scene where they um, they encounter... Um, I don't even want to talk about this. Sorry, it's so bad. Where basically this kid is... This father is claiming that his kid is... No, the father... Okay, so they're, they're on their way to the main action and they run into a man who is screaming about his car being stolen mm -hmm. and that one of those defenders is in that car. Like, he stole my car, get yeah. him, and then they get the car and inside is the man's son. Mm -hmm. And... This happens for absolutely no reason, because yeah. it, it if not if only to stall them, but for no reason. 
Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't understand why it happens. I mean, it is kind of, it is kind of funny, but it ends up kind of just wasting a few pages. So yeah, it's not as funny as the coffee. No, no, definitely not. And I feel like he was trying to get some of that coffee magic back and Mm -hmm. it was like a misstep. Didn't quite happen. Yeah. So anyway, so now they run into these super villains who are also calling themselves defenders and it's again sort of like a group of b-listers like uh who do we got here oh my god we got whirlwind we've got uh oh my gosh oh we got electro he's cool um just a bunch of people i don't know much about none of them are particularly great other than electro and just like that it's over where the cops come and basically say you're all under arrest and that's it we just talked about the whole issue and in about two seconds and nothing actually almost happened. nothing happened yeah. not a very good issue no they pretty much it, it really only um <laughs> i wanted to save this comment till the till, till the end until we got to the end of 64 four yeah. but honestly the things that happen all three of these issues could happen in one of them true uh, there's certainly enough pages uh to drive the action from 62 on yeah in one book and i don't 63 is almost superfluous um it only serves to set up the one point which is like or sorry to strengthen the one point which is there are some evil villains who are pretending to be defenders Mm -hmm. and it's like that was the one point that they knew they had to write and explain and they wrote and explained it in one issue extremely poorly yeah i guess what it comes down to is uh, let's just put it this way this is not decompressed storytelling this is you know 80s style storytelling there's six panels per page there's lots of dialogue Mm -hmm. but if you were to explain this or pitch this story to someone you could sum it up in like three sentences so really it's just one sentence per issue (laughs) it's like three scenes stretched out over what is this 18 pages not a very good issue. Not a very good issue. And even in my notes, I had almost no, I had nothing to talk about other than the Hellcat Mobile. So, not very good. <laughs> other than not. the Hellcat Mobile. Well, the other the other thing that these comics kind of do as well by like by including, um, because the one thing that I always get in recommending older older looking comics to younger children is that they look old. So. I'm always looking for visual cues uh, mm-hmm. of these comics dating themselves, other than yellowed pages. So would I give these to my nieces, the ones who say, I don't want to read this, this looks old. By, in, by including um, architecture, um, things like nicknames, uh, and vehicle models it's the, that are like antiquated now, mm-hmm. that is what dates these things. And I don't think, uh, I, I think there was something about comics before that they didn't consider those sort of things when they were writing that they may consider now, where they almost look timeless now. Like if you gave this to a kid, you could tell by that old vehicle that that man had stolen. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think it goes back to that whole idea that these these were only meant to be read once and I don't want to say thrown away but they're like the pulps of exactly and like even like I remember it was I, I don't know one of the early doctor doctors from Doctor Who said that when we when we when we made these you know episodes they were not meant to be scrutinized 50 years later by adults they were meant to be watched once 
and then never seen again by little kids. And so that, that I mean, that's why I can forgive a lot of the um, kind of throwaway nature of these comics. But at the same time, there are comics being published during this time that are much better than this. So, and that's a, Well, and that's a really good point to bring up as well, is that, yeah, they weren't meant to be scrutinized 50 years later. But unfortunately, we're doing that right now. Exactly. <laughs> Let's keep doing it. Okay. So this cover of number 64 of The Defenders is drawn by George Perez, one of my, my favorites. Friend info beware, the Valkyrie gone mad. So here we go. D-Day, David Anthony Kraft, Sal Buscema, and our pal Don Perlin, who I mostly know from doing a good run on Transformers. Later on, he did Bloodshot. But he's a Marvel veteran from, I believe, starting in the 50s. So, you know, both you know, Sal Buscema and Don Perlin, good artists. Again, the artwork is a little bit unremarkable. but It definitely does its job, though. The storytelling is clear. Unfortunately, the story they're telling is not very good. Um, again, we come in on this... Uh, argument that ends kind of ridiculously where the, the bad guys just sort of take off and the cops are threatening them with saying they got to pay for all this damage and the heroes take off. And then it goes into this other storyline where we kind of follow the villains along and now they're just doing like a bank robbery, robbery. And I think at this point, both of us kind of our eyes glazed over because I really don't remember what happens for the rest of this issue. But we both read it, so we should know, but I don't. Mm-hmm. Well, in the second <laughs> issue, there was this whole subplot with a blob that should have been interesting, more interesting than the uh, the stolen vehicle. And I don't even remember that. No. And I think this issue here, the whole the whole point of this is they also cut back and forth to the Soviets for some reason. Yeah, there's a subplot they keep coming back to, but we don't really know what comes out of it because we don't get to that. Yeah. It's so not yeah, issue. they. So what they've done now is they've split up into teams: the defenders and the extra defenders. They've split up into teams, and Valkyrie leads a team of mostly flight-based superheroes, mm-hmm. and they're now running after uh, some some of the supervillain, fake defenders, and they're they're now in New York City. So yeah, we've we find them here. In the subways. <laughs> yeah, which actually brings me to my favorite page. Uh, page 10, digital page 7. There's a really cool shot when they're running in the city street and uh, Captain Ultra is flying above them and he's looking down and we're actually seeing the subway from his point of view. So we're seeing him seeing through the road. Of course, I don't know if you know New York City streets are you know four inches thick and then the subway is directly below that but that's fine I can forgive that right Mm -hmm. it's a kid's comic but it's a cool shot and that's and that is one of those magical things about comics that I I remember and love and and one of the things that fortunately makes it interesting is seeing shots those x-ray shots like that right and then like really super high action like they're rushing into battle and you're you're seeing them from you know your audience helicopter it's really it's really cool i can't say that that traffic is like that anymore <laughs> or that there's even parking on any uh-huh. city street in new york city but hey that's this is the 70s um so yeah i, th- I think we're moving along in what <sighs> we're chasing the bank robbers yeah and the thing is is I don't, like, I just read this and I don't remember really what happened because it's just sort of, you know, you're, you're, you know, 
the whole one of the things about about the art and the writing in comics is it's supposed to pull you in. But I find that when I'm as I'm reading through these panels, my eyes are sliding off the page because the dialogue is not really pulling me in to make me want to keep reading it, you know? So I'm No, and then there's a lot of extraneous dialogue from characters that don't actually um pull the story along Mm -hmm. and then suddenly there's somewhere else like you turn the page and there's somewhere there's somewhere else and Uh those characters are gone and it doesn't feel like their dialogue had been wrapped up like for example when we come off of the city street something else happens and then dollar bill is there like i'm seeing him right there and i could bear he was barely involved in that the second issue that we Mm -hmm. read but he was fairly involved in the first issue and i had to think for i had to it gave me pause, to, and I had to think about where I saw him before and why he was important. And I was like, oh yeah, he's a documentary guy. And I'm not even sure who he's talking to there. Is it like more moneyed people? This is, let's see here. Hey, honchos. Wait up, will ya? Howdy, oh, Professor Turk. Empire State University yeah. for some reason. Uh, then I have an idea that may intrigue you hmm okay so you know what this is probably guys that he's been working with in, with in previous issues but we don't know anything about that well there's nothing wrong with that but um mm-hmm. again it's probably one of the more it's almost like the most interesting thing about these comics is the more down-to-earth stuff right with like we said the coffee drinking this dollar bill character I guess maybe the problem is they spend too much time on the slugfest and you know what I kind of realized as I got older I love comics, and as you know, I've got 10,000 comics, and I love superhero comics. You realize you love comics? Yeah, no, 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 no. I, like, I love superhero comics, but my least favorite thing about superhero comics is the mindless slugfest. And that's one reason why I think 60s DC, for as much as people, you know, as much as Marvel revolutionized comics and changed the way they were written, Silver Age DC didn't have a lot of fight scenes. They had a lot of thinking a lot of solving and a lot of imagination and a lot of you know really cool ideas and that's one reason why sometimes i like reading uh silver age superman and superboy and legion of superheroes more than marvel because marvel did tend to be a lot of just mindless slugfests you know especially at this point when it was people writing trying to write like stanley rather than stanley um wasn't nearly, it wasn't nearly as good as the 60s stuff. I mean, there is some good stuff around this period, but this there's, is definitely not it. Yeah, there's not enough of it in this issue, at least. No. Also, around this point, page 11, we get to our last appearance of Quasar on the issue. Again, he's still called Marvel Man. They get into an argument about who's the leader and blah, blah, blah. Nighthawk's trying to pull rank. And then basically, they all decide to take off. So that's it for Quasar. In this three, in these three issues, Quasar's not really Quasar. We quit. Yeah, I know. They're not. He's not really Quasar. This could have been any character. It didn't have to be Marvel Man or Quasar. Uh, kind of unfortunate that at this point. I mean, I know this is really only his second storyline that he appeared in, but he's kind of just treated like you know fodder for uh, for a storyline. So it's kind of disappointing. But whatever. I mean, it's fine. Not much else to say about this issue. Again, they kind of foil these bad guys that are robbing this bank, and that's pretty much it. Nighthawk comes in, he tries to save the day, and kind of gets his ass kicked. Yeah, and then the the one thing for me, though, is that the characters 
started to get interesting. When they try to zero in on crime, mm-hmm. or they try to focus, I should say, on the crime, um, like this character here, who is the shocker, yes. who appears to be dressed, who appears to have yellow skin, the way he's rendered, and is dressed in fishnets and lingerie. That's what it looks like to me. And his name is, his or her, name is the shocker. And he's forcing a Wall Street, like... A bank executive, whatever, yeah. To make him a millionaire. Yes. That's the level of baddie these people are. And they devoted three or four panels to it. Like, Uh that's the kind of thing that reminded... You were talking about DC Comics before and how it was a lot about... There was a lot of thinking Mm -hmm. and a a lot of... um, there was just way more interesting things. And for some reason, for me, that was really interesting. Because that is exactly what a bad person would do. Good point. <laughs> they would threaten the life of, of an accountant. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't care. I don't want to hear your technical jargon about the stock market. I just want you to do it. And I want to. I want you to make me a millionaire. And then the next panel, he's literally holding a sheet with all the stock options on it. And it says that there's a million dollars in his bank account, apparently. Like, that's amazing. (laughs) Well, and you know what? Is that the other thing about this is that my least favorite thing about uh, superheroes, again, is when people just fight. Or when Dr. Octopus, quote, wreaks havoc on New York to get Spider-Man to come and fight him. Or when a character says, oh, I tangled with that character, you know, an issue, whatever. But this makes sense. He just wants to be a millionaire. So he's going to, what is he going to do? He's going to go and he's going to force this guy to do that. You're absolutely right. At least this is logical. Yeah. And it's like, it's like the story about Superman where he goes and he does the guy's taxes. Yes. It's just normal shit. Mm -hmm. Like that's what's, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's the kind of villainy I want to see. Like normal ass villainy. Right. Um, And then, okay. So, I mean, moving on. Um, it's really weird that it, it kind of cuts away to those three panels of him becoming a millionaire and then right back into the fray of because uh, there's still a bunch of there's still a bunch of villains. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I think we found out somewhere in there that the villains have uh, created this villainous defender team to equalize the fact that there are more defenders, more good guys. So one, that's pretty that's pretty flimsy for mm-hmm. a plot device but okay like but buyable it's so simple that you could buy it oh that's why there's this influx of people because um dollar bill created an issue with inviting more superheroes to the party and the villains were like no 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 unacceptable must have more villains okay i get it that's why everything exists and this is why this chaos. Like, so what we, we're moving into the scene now where Hellcat is just being choked out. Yes. And it happens for a very disturbing six panels. It's actually, yeah, it's a very, it's a strange sequence. And I actually took note of it because we have, we're kind of uh, zooming in on our face here. And it's like, again, I've said this before, Salvation tends to use the same expressions over and over again. But that's actually pretty good. But it's also a little bit horrific. Yeah. Uh, zooming in on like her eye, her eyes are like rolling back in her eye sockets, and she only gets out of it because she uses an previously uh, unknown power. Um, she blindly lashes lashes out and knocks everyone out. Uh, apparently, she has this n- 
never mentioned mind power. Oh, sorry. Let me just back up here. Moondragon never told me I'd be able to do anything like this, but then she never mentioned the mind power migraine. It just gave me either. So she has this power, I guess it's kind of a deus ex machina, of being able to just knock people out around her. I don't know. I don't know anything about this power. Again, it's a little bit convenient, but um, it's also kind of a weird scene. So what do you think of this? Um, with all of the super... Okay. In comparison to all of the superhero slugging that is happening, this is probably the most visceral. Mm-hmm. And... It, it's it's like um, it's like the close-ups of old Hollywood women, where it's like just their face and it's it's very fuzzy. Mm-hmm. This is probably the most disturbing thing I've seen in a comic, where you we're literally watching a woman be choked out and we can see the tears streaming down her face. Good point. Like her tongue is rolling to the side. Uh-huh. She's gasping for air. They they de- they devote five panels to this mm-hmm. woman's struggle and she's dying. Uh-huh. Like they don't devote this kind of attention to anything else. And I don't I again, it's one of those things where I don't want to sit on like I don't want to sit on um a feminist throne mm-hmm. and because I don't know how that affects like that argument. Like mm-hmm. this is affecting me in a way that the rest of the story didn't affect me at all. And it seems very out of place that this is how they would they would depict her agony, mm-hmm. like sheer agony and terror at her potential death. Nobody else, like we we've seen everyone slugging each other almost to death but this is how they depict hellcat it's actually you know what's also interesting is they do point out in the narration so embroiled are the heroes in their individual conflicts that none notices how the cat has been caught off guard by the blob's sudden stranglehold so yeah it is kind of strange that they zero in on this um amidst everything else and that it's so much different from how everyone else is uh kind of fighting i guess eh? Mm mm-hmm yeah, and it's like, I don't know, I haven't read any further, and I would be interested in maybe potentially, like, researching this, but it's like, they use this as a blank slate to introduce this power that we've never even read about, mm. um, that her Wikipedia entry doesn't even mention, yes. so does she use mm. this later? Like, she knocks, she's so fearful for her life, so she knocks everyone out that's in the subway. Like, there are, what, there's ten people on the ground. And they're mm-hmm. all unconscious because that is what this kind of damage being inflicted on her, that's that was her re- her reaction. Her power's reaction for survival. <laughs> and that is actually, it's super interesting. And I, I don't know, like, I, I didn't even notice it until now until we stopped to mm-hmm. talk about it. And I was like, you know what? That's kind of fr- that's kind of weird and frightening at the same time. Would you want to get, uh, read more about her to find out more about her powers and stuff like that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I don't I don't know anything about Hellcat. I don't know a lot about most Marvel characters, mm-hmm. but now I am certainly intrigued. One, anyone who has a magical cloak. Like everyone knows my number one is Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. So anyone with a magical cloak deserves a further look. And a little more attention. Yeah, it's it's a definitely cool idea, but we don't really see that in here. So you right, like we don't really see that depicted in this story, the magical cloak. So yeah, so and then and then we move, and that's the thing. Everyone gets knocked out, and then again, just a sharp 
like 180 to the other action that's happening. So we don't even we haven't even seen what's been happening with the Valkyrie team. Mm-hmm. They're off. They're off um, on their own little mission, and that's where it cuts straight to. This was actually the most confusing part of the comic because I had to go back, and I believe you did too. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know what the heck was going on because Valkyrie is getting choked out. By Joe the Gorilla, who I've never heard of, and I've read every Marvel, every Marvel Universe, you know, entry. I've never heard of this guy, but um, so basically, she um, imagines herself in this other. I don't even know what the hell is going on, and like how Cat Val reacts in a most unusual manner. But unlike Patsy's, the Valkyrie's desperate struggle for self-preservation draws its strength from insanity, and so she imagines. Everyone around her are these uh, characters from Asgard, I guess. Well, I guess, no, it wouldn't be Asgard because she... Yes, it would be Asgard. Yeah, so the segue between Hellcat being strangled Mm -hmm. um, and and her main action is that she's also in a Mm chokehold. And her reaction to it is to potentially go crazy. And, yeah, and I drew, for me... I drew a lot of comparisons to uh, historical, like the the science of like women mm-hmm. succumbing to hysteria, uh-huh. and how that was used to explain like our menstrual cycles, et cetera, et cetera. So I found uh, not uh, not unlike her serving coffee, not knowing how to brew mm-hmm. coffee, <clears throat> is the fact that the writer that's that's where that's where that went with Valkyrie is that her response. Uh, to survival was to go insane and uh-huh. what turn on on Nighthawk that's the thing is that yeah and all, exactly and I thought that when I was reading it I'm like did I miss something did they make her hallucinate or go crazy no it was just her insanity and it, can I also point out she's basically like a goddess and this is how easy it is to get her to just yeah. uh, be you know hallucinate that everyone is Everyone who's on her side, yeah. on her team, she's hallucinating that they're against her. And the, not and the, great. Yeah, and that's that's why I couldn't. I there's just something I can. I grappled with a lot of things, but I again, like you, I had to turn back a few mm-hmm. pages and go. Wait a second. Why? Why is she choking out mm-hmm. Nighthawk? That's Nighthawk, right? Yeah, yeah. Nighthawk. Yeah. Why is she choking him out and then feeling remorse about it? Oh yeah. The whole issue is actually like when you go back to the start, the cover is devoted to her her reaction to the chaos. It's actually called what D Day. Mm-hmm. So it, it's supposed to be about this slight turn, and the reason, and, and then we find out later after she's done figuring out that she's gone a little bit insane, is that that was the villain's plan all along was to make the Valkyrie insane. By introducing so many villains, they somehow knew she would go insane. Ridiculous. And part of me wants to believe that it's not because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. Because you are right. She's this woman who is a god, mm-hmm. who is an absolute god, succumbs to regular mortal um, foils. Yeah. <laughs> not not the best scene in the comic. Not the best scene in the story. It's... uh pretty rough mm-hmm. um I, I i don't like master plans that rely on sheer i don't want to say luck but um there's no way for them to have known this would work it's it's bad it's pretty badly written mm-hmm. um 
suddenly we're in the Soviet Union. Yeah, then we cut away to the subplot that, well, we don't know how it's resolved because we're not going to read the next issue because it doesn't have a quasar in it. But um, uh, I, I guess what we come to, so this is the point where we decide, or, you know, to our audience here, do we recommend this comic? Do we enjoy it? I can only say, or and also do we want to read more? I, I personally, there's something magical about these comics that I, I am compelled to want to read more. I just, I guess the question is, how long will that feeling last before I just get sick of this formula? I don't know. I could read more, but I got a feeling if it was the same, if it was David Kraft writing them, if it was the same type of kind of mindless action, I don't know how far I could go. So I'm very tentatively recommending this as a fun 80s comic or a fun 70s comic, but not particularly great. What do you think? I can't um, I can't soundly recommend this to anybody who wants to read good comics from the 70s. However, I can recommend this to anyone who wants to use comics um, in an attempt to uh, make arguments for the um the the, betray- the portrayal of women mm-hmm. um or just the studies of of women and how women were interpreted by men in the 70s i can make that recommendation jump. yeah recommendation to anyone who is like a women's studies major because not only are these women just they're super proud women but they <laughs> they get they get lumped in to the human women category. So no, if you're looking for like me a comic that was written in the seventies that um, it involves characters that you have any kind of like a glimmer of interest in, you're not going to get any backstory on any of these characters. You're just going to see them on a page slugging it out. Mm-hmm. I would go looking somewhere else, possibly just to their single titles. Mm. or wikipedia just <laughs> mm. you're not going to learn anything from them especially quasar from these issues these three issues of the defenders not at all well i also have to point out that in the next issue blurb it says next action adventure and high drama behind the iron curtain in the ambitions and giant amoebas plus a special guest star appearance by millie the model so oh my god she's like one of my favorites there you go so we had patsy walker now we're gonna have millie the model so that is incentive to read the next issue and not only does it say that it's like honest it's like Mm -hmm. in in parentheses brackets oh no honest millie the model is making an appearance Mm -hmm. in defenders see to me that's like slightly intriguing because Mm -hmm. i used to collect millie the model i think i it's like now we go into my backstory it's like i'm a collector of romance comics Mm -hmm. so for me seeing that is enticing enough to read the the next issue but only to see what they do with her Uh uh-huh um huh that changes things (laughs) so there you go again these these okay these alliterations that they use to sell themselves sell themselves way too hard and again they're just red flags and cover-ups for actual crap (laughs) not great uh three issues of the defenders we just reviewed not spectacular but again we review them because they feature our favorite hero quasar and next week on Quasar Chronology, we'll be joined by our pal Kevin, who's going to help us review Captain America number 228, 229, and 230. Thank you for joining us. This is Mike L. And G.I. Jolie. From the Comic Book Syndicate. We'll see you next time. Bye.